From Afghanistan to masks to hunting birds, this is Vincent Jason, Save the Nation. Hey guys, welcome back to Vincent Jason, Save the Nation here on The Daily Caller. Uh, we got a lot going on, a lot of good stuff to watch. Uh, Vince is going to run some of it down. Vince. What are we going to do? Yeah, we're taking a look back at some of uh, uh, the video clips that sort of have caught the Internet's attention this week. They caught our attention as well. We're going to analyze some of them. Uh, obviously, the big news story of the week really that's dominated all of the headlines has been Afghanistan and the attempts at getting Americans and Afghan allies out of the country. Uh, and one of the guys who's responded to this and released a video kind of in the voice of what he would like to see President Biden say is a Navy SEAL by the name of Jocko Willink. Uh, here is a pretty popular guy. He puts this video out. I want to play it for you. And then, Jason, you and I can react to, to what Jocko had to say. Take a look. I wanted to give you an update on the current situation in Afghanistan. We were set to leave Afghanistan this month. And as we began the final drawdown, I made some critical errors. Namely, I underestimated the strength of the Taliban and I overestimated the strength and capability of the friendly Afghan forces. This was my fault. And due to my mistake, the Taliban has taken control of Afghanistan. There are reports now that ISIS and Al Qaeda are working alongside them. Unfortunately, there are tens of thousands of Americans on the ground there, as well as friends and allies of America on the ground. These people, Americans and our allies, are all stranded. And that is my fault. But they will not be stranded for long. In the next 48 hours, America will be in control of most major airports in Afghanistan. Any resistance we meet from the Taliban or otherwise when we seize these airports will be destroyed completely and without mercy. From those airports, we will conduct rapid strike rescue missions until we have recovered and evacuated all our citizens, allies, and friends. Any person that interferes with these operations will be killed. Okay, Jason, so we get a statement from uh, you know Navy SEAL with uh, his preferred policy speech. Uh, it's hard to imagine from where I'm sitting, uh, Joe Biden giving a speech that sounds anything like that. Um, we did hear Joe Biden say yesterday in what I thought was just a brutal speech. Um, at the end of it, he did say uh, that he's responsible for everything that has happened in Afghanistan of late, uh, kind of getting to some kind of sort of heading in the direction that Jocko uh, wanted to hear uh, Joe Biden say. What do you think of uh, Jocko's uh, uh, suggestions here for the president? Uh, so in, in terms of taking responsibility, um, I think that would show a certain level of leadership, but I don't know that our country is primed for that. And what I mean by that is we've seen, at least for the past five years, uh, accountability doesn't even exist from the highest office in, in the land. Like we are completely anti-accountability. Nobody takes responsibility for anything. They take credit for things that go well and never take responsibility. That has been the way our politics have been transformed 
Um, I think it's always been on some level, but usually people would somehow take responsibility and accountability for things they thought, thought they couldn't avoid. But I think over the past five years in our, in our politics, now people see that it works. You can say, it's not my fault. It's perfect call, perfect this. No, I didn't do it. Um, and so I think what Jocko wants for a lot of us who were raised like that is for somebody who's in charge to say, I was in charge. I made the mistake. Here's how I'm going to rectify it. Now, his politics are, and, and his understanding of how this works is completely terrible. Like, he thinks you're just going to be able to walk in in 48 hours, figure out who's a friend and who's a foe. You know, uh, like, he's like, we will evacuate all our allies. Like, you got to vet these people. You know what I mean? You don't know who these people are all over the country of Afghanistan and, you know, who, somebody who may show up at an airport. You may bring somebody from ISIL in, or ISIS into the country, you know? Um, so I think that that is a whole lot more complicated than he's giving it credit for. Um, they have evacuated, I think we're up to like 104,000 people, including 13,000 in the past 24 hours. So they are evacuating people uh, relatively quickly. It is a dangerous situation. And this is something that, you know, Joe Biden, uh, I don't know if you want to say to his credit, he's somebody who said, look, this is really dangerous. There could be strikes. The intelligence community, this is the one thing that they did get right. They were like, there could be uh, violence and strikes. And also, I think even though Joe Biden is 100% accountable um, if you're really, really doing an analysis of this, again, as I've said several times, this stretches back a couple of administrations uh, for their failures. And to me, there is no way that this exit was going to succeed at any point. Um, you know, the trajectory that we were on, uh, culminating, I would say, of course, in Feb February in Doha, you know, making the Afghan government junior partners in that in that discussion it just wasn't going to it just it was always going to be a disaster no matter how we left so i think mm -hmm. jocko uh his understanding of that situation he may understand certain things about you know certain tactical elements of, of the military he's he's very experienced he understands that but i think that there are certain things in that speech that if i heard that from joe biden i'd be like oh man we're all gonna die you know like this is we are screwed you know, um, but the part, I think the major part that he was trying to get across, and I like Jocko, you know, um, a lot. I, I think the major part that he was trying to get across was leadership taking accountability. And I hope that not just Joe Biden, but every leader in the country mm -hmm. is listening that we need some sort of, you know, revolution of values that we can't keep going down the road of nothing is my fault, nothing, I'm responsible for nothing. Give me credit, but don't give me criticism. Right. And we've seen that from athletes. We've seen it from presidents. We've seen it from everyone. And I think Joe Biden has taken some accountability uh, for what's going on. Um, I don't know if he's taken enough, but he's certainly taken some accountability to yes. it. And I think in the last four years, Trump never took accountability for anything. And, and Obama took accountability only for some things. And I think we need for all of these presidents to move forward and say, look, I'm the leader. 
people chose me to be the leader. The majority of Americans chose me to be the leader. Uh, not necessarily true with Trump because he didn't win the popular vote, but he still won the election and fair and square. He was the leader and leaders take accountability. Yes. They get credit, but they take accountability. Yes. Yeah. No, in fact, integrity, the idea of like people taking accountability for their actions, like who does that at all in Washington? How, like find me the very short list of people who have ever done that over the last few decades. Like nobody takes responsibility for what they did wrong. And then they take credit for other people's victories. It's just like such a preposterous system. Um, but this is the latest expression of it. And in this case, a lot of human lives are on the line. And um, what I'm looking for right now, and I think what Jocko's looking for is strength. There's a lot of veterans out there just saying, we need strength right now in the face of this peril. We can't let uh, the Taliban think that we're weak because they will exploit that weakness. And you're, we're seeing it happen. Um, I, just an unbelievable day yesterday as we lost uh, 13 American service members, 12 Marines, one Navy corpsman, uh, at the hands of suicide bombings uh, taken, conducted by uh, the administration says is ISIS-K, uh, which somehow got through those Taliban security lines while Americans and Afghan allies can't get through those Taliban security lines. So many questions, not enough answers. Uh, and so when Jocko recorded that, that was ahead of the announcement of the deaths of, the, of these Americans. But what he wanted um, is something that I think a lot of Americans want or, or instinctively know that we need to have, which is we need to do everything within our power to not only have the force on the ground that's going to protect Americans as we depart Afghanistan, but we make it clear that we will do everything we can uh, and to protect Americans, including putting a bullet in the chest of anybody who attempts to impede our progress. Um, I think that's a normal instinct for Americans to have. It should be. And I think Jocko was expressing it the way that maybe only a SEAL could, uh, that he is, that uh, people will be killed uh, if they get in our way. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I think Joe I Biden also, lot, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just, I'm saying I find, I think I find a lot there that is broadly appealing. I don't, I don't think it's really a partisan point as, as much as it is uh, an important point that in a, in a conflict with a terror organization, uh, it's, it's important that we lay out on the table what the consequences will be for failing to preserve uh, and safeguard American citizens and the allies that we want out out as we get out of that country. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely reckon, right. And I think that, you know, Biden, in, in his response, he did say, you know, essentially give the old George W. Bush, we're going to smoke you out of your holes thing. We won't forgive. We won't forget. We're going to get you. Um I also um, think that this is actually a really complicated situation. It's not as simple as it sounds. Um, hey, we go and we start putting bullets in people's chests. Um, I, I think the only reason I say that is because um, with ISIS-K, we don't know the extent to which the Taliban was complicit in what occurred. Because historically, ISIS-K and the Taliban are sworn enemies. They, they don't like each other. But what you did see, I think the Taliban is on a goodwill tour inside of Afghanistan and outside of Afghanistan. So they're trying to make peace with all these tribal units, all these terror groups. By the way, ISIS-K, the relationship between ISIS-K and ISIS 
you know, the main organization, people really don't know how closely tied they really are. You know, like this is almost an autonomous group. They have, you know, somewhere between a thousand and two thousand fighters, um, and many of them were released from Afghan jails. And the reason I say that that was a goodwill measure by the Taliban is because they wanted people in Afghanistan uh, basically to like them. So they bribed officials and they opened up the prisons and let people out, um, hoping to garner goodwill amongst, you know, their enemies. Um, the extent to which they allowed for ISIS-K <clears throat> to carry out that bombing, or they had knowledge of it, or they let somebody slide through a, you know, a, a security blockade or something like that, um, that's not really known. And, you know, Americans, I think I heard that there are a thousand Americans left that still need to be evacuated. That's what Tony um, Blinken's saying. Yeah, about a thousand Americans uh, that remain. And like I said, we've taken out 104,000 mm -hmm. people over the last uh, several weeks. Um, so I don't know the extent to which the Taliban is blocking. People yeah, I either. mean, Biden, you Biden know, said I yesterday, Biden said yesterday that there was no evidence that the intelligence community has found of collusion between uh, the Taliban and ISIS-K. And, and that may be the case. And it seems to be all the everyone that's reporting on this with uh, subject matter expertise suggests that, yeah, ISIS-K uh, is an enemy of the Taliban. But the realities are, are twofold. One, as you mentioned, uh, those prisoners were released by the Taliban, uh, those hardened prisoners, many of them coming from Bagram, an airfield we should not have shut down before we got out of the country. And then subsequently, um, uh, they made it through that line. So regardless, the Taliban who claim that they're they've set up a security perimeter, that they're moderating who comes in to that perimeter towards the airport. This is just at, at the least a demonstration of gross negligence on the part of the Taliban who knows how high the stakes are here uh, and, and should know. And um, unfortunately, I think what Joe Biden projected yesterday was basically kind of an oh well attitude with regard to the Taliban. You're right. He did threaten to go after ISIS-K. But he's like, well, you know, we've got to just work on tightening up is basically the, the impression that we were left with. And we're sticking to that August 31st deadline. So the reality seems to be at least the message the Taliban is hearing from the United States is, hey, we're not going to really hold you accountable for this failure. This is not, you know, and that that led to the death of American troops. And then, of course, 90, at least 90 Afghans, according to the reporting as of this morning. Um, so anyway, this is obviously a very tough situation much of it the product of um, strategic blunders on the part of the United States and the way that we get out of the country. And yesterday, um, Jason, the president was asked by, um, I believe, Philip Wegman over at the Washington Examiner, like, hey, did, you know, was it your idea to close Bagram, basically? Did you make the call to close Bagram down? And that's when Joe Biden invoked his military leadership. He said, I called all the military leaders in. I was talking to them. And he suggested yesterday there was unanimity among military leaders that it was okay to go ahead and close down Bagram. All we needed was Kabul. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that's true, actually. Uh, but but that's what he said yesterday. He was basically passing off responsibility for that decision to close off Bagram to uh, military officials. And I imagine uh, if it hasn't happened while we're talking, uh, it may happen in the next 24 hours that we begin to see some of these leaks that suggest, no, that's that's not the case at all. There were people within the in the government who were saying, yes, we need Bagram to evacuate the country. 
You know, perhaps I, I, I can't say uh, what I, I think it would be really stupid for him to lie about what military leadership said. Um, I think that he, he probably, you know, got that, you know, got the okay from that military leadership, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Mark Milley did say that Bagram should be closed in June in congressional testimony. He was asked about this and he said, no, it's fine. We can close Bagram. We can do it with Kabul. Uh, that looks very stupid in retrospect. Yeah, I, I think that there there are certain strategic um, errors, and and I think the first part of what Jocko said was, was correct, and that is that uh, President Biden and and the intelligence community uh, underestimated the strength of the Taliban and overestimated uh, the strength and the resolve of the Afghan military and the Afghan security forces and the Afghan government. Um, so I, I think that that part is absolutely true. There's no question about it. Um, I think that they knew that all of that, this kind of violence that we saw um, and you know the, the terrible deaths of the, of the 13 servicemen and the uh, 90 Afghans and 140 others who were who were injured, I believe. Um, they knew that this was a possibility, and they had been stating it publicly. Yes. So the embassy was, had, the embassy was warning American citizens to stay away from these gates. That's precisely yes. where the attack was was carried out. The implication, even over the weekend, I mean, you had government officials suggesting they were fearing suicide bombings. Even the nature of the attack, the location of the attack, we clearly had insight into all of this, um, which. I think throws one more question at least down in front of me, which is how did we lose our Marines and that Navy corpsman then? How did this happen? You know, in light of what we knew could happen and then we saw it happen and it was at the expense of uh, all these American lives, certainly many more Afghan lives and, and certainly uh, a lot more wounded. How could this happen? Yeah. So, um, but I'd love this to get is, the answers. Yeah. I mean, this is the difficult thing um, with, terror groups, unfortunately, is that you see a bunch of Af Afghan people who look, you know, desperate for the help of Americans and that, you know, people on stateside are saying we need to help these Afghans to get out of the country. You know, I, I have mixed feelings about that. I'm still not sure, as, as you and I have discussed several times, um, <clears throat> that we have to help Afghans to flee the country. And then, I mean, that opens the door for somebody who's dressed like a civilian, you know, to get in and they've got a bomb strapped across them mm -hmm. or, and, and others behind them with gunfire. So it's, it's, it's really difficult. And of course, you've got to have American military and American servicemen over there, uh, can, you know, kind of conducting business. So it puts them in harm's way. There's really like this destruction that we've seen. You know, I don't know that there's a there was a way to 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 avoid this other than not quickly getting into Afghanistan or getting out of Afghanistan much quicker than we did. That's the literally the only way this would have happened under any other leadership, under any other president. I believe under any other military, you know, uh, leadership. I think that. We can always Monday morning quarterback this. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty easy to Monday morning quarterback war. You know, we we did it 
with Vietnam? The answer was we shouldn't have gone to Vietnam. You know what I mean? We did it here in Afghanistan. We should have gone in, handled business quickly the way we did when we when we killed uh, OBL and, and gotten out. But the more this thing grew, um, the, the greater the cost of, of exiting was going to be. And mm -hmm. that's where we are right now. And unfortunately, it's costing lives, even American servicemen. And it's, it's a real tragedy. All right, let me, uh, I'm going to move on to a different topic entirely with you, Jason. We've got a, a father this week uh, who went to a school board meeting uh, and was basically expressing uh, the most libertarian attitude he possibly could. He just rejects government. Uh, I mean, it's really almost to the point of anarchy, actually. Uh, <laughs> and uh, here he is uh, in, uh, and he decides in order to express himself, he's going to take his clothes off uh, in front of the school board. Take a look. I'm James Akers. I'm a 15-year resident of Dripping Springs. I've put three kids through Dripping Springs. I have one more in high school right now. Um, and uh, I'm here to say that I do not like government or any other entity, just ask my wife, telling me what to do. But sometimes I got to push the envelope a little bit, and I just decided that I'm going to not just talk about it, but I'm going to walk the walk. Uh, at work, they make me wear this jacket. I hate it. They make me wear this shirt and tie. I hate it. On the way over here, I ran three stop signs and four red lights. I almost killed somebody out there. But by God, it's my roads too. So I have every right to drive as fast as I want to, make the turns that I want to. I got over here to the school today and the parking lot's full and I decided I was gonna park wherever the hell I want to, which in this case happened to be a uh, handicap. But I really hate my clothes. So, It's simple protocol, people. We follow certain rules. We, we follow certain rules for a very good reason. Can I, can you stop? Mr. Akers, I understand, I believe you're a swimmer, but if you would mind putting your pants back on for a comment, that would be appreciated. All right, so for more insight on what this is, this is uh, ABC7 reporting this in Texas. James Akers is a 15-year-old resident, 15-year, rather, resident of Dripping Springs, and he started that 90 seconds he was allotted during public comments by saying he had those three kids who went to the school district and another currently in high school. Uh, he was, he alluded to having mask opposition and sarcastically talked about driving through the three stop signs and the four red lights and parking in a handicapped space. Um, and he, he went on to say, we follow rules for a good reason before his time ran out. Um, Akers further elaborated about his intent with Austin Station KXAN Tuesday, saying it was a, quote, easy message. There are too many voices out there that I think are digging in for political reasons and absolutely just not thinking about the common sense decisions we make every day to comply with everything from driving down the road and being safe and courteous to other drivers to not parking in handicapped spots. All these rules that we're given every day that we follow because they make sense and we know ourselves that it makes sense for the community. Okay, so with that, I, so I he's don't think not he, an anti-masker. He's actually for the masks? I think he's pro-mask, yes. So I think, okay. and again, he's a little <laughs> unclear in his expression here. I just think that everyone kind of like 
sees this video where he's like taking his clothes off and they're like, what, <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and so maybe actually it's, he's not what I framed him up as, as some sort of ultra libertarian. Uh, in fact, he's saying like, look, we've got all these rules for a reason. It's not that hard to follow them. Just follow them. That seems to be the point that he's making, Jason. Uh, yeah. Is this a good way to uh, get a message out? <laughs> Yo, I love that guy. You know what I mean? Like, James, is it James Akers? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Akers, let's go with that. Yeah, Mr. Akers, let, let me just say this. You know, number one, I think you're a cool guy, but your kids? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, they are going to struggle a little bit. But He's got one still in high school. Can you imagine yeah. if your dad uh, showed up at a school board meeting and stripped and his naked. underwear and you got to live with that for the rest of high school? Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I don't know. That would make you I'd be like, yo, your dad is awesome. Legend. <laughs> like, your dad's legend. a legend. Like, I'd be like, you know, when we graduate, I'd be like, can we have a beer with your dad? Like, <laughs> um, no, nah, I. I I think he's, you know, I understand the point he's making and with some of the stunts that we've seen other people make and the anger with which they've expressed the whole mask thing. I think it honestly, that was kind of effective if I could kind of understand what he was trying to get across. I think he was trying to, you know, make it a little more lighthearted um, and trying to make a point. And most people do it in a little, you know, trying to send a snarky tweet, but he actually went out and, and, you know, did something that I think people will laugh at and see how ridiculous it is to, <laughs> to disobey a rule that's for the public good. Um, so let me so I think he's all right. Shout out to Mr. Akers. I, 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 this is a hilarious stunt to me. So I agree with you on that sense. But um, in the event that he's basically saying, what's the big deal? Wear a mask, shut up. Um, like, you know, stop complaining. I'm opposed to that. I'm like against the naked guy right now because um, I, and I, you and I have talked about this before. I am for parents making these decisions for their kids. I think it's a perfectly good thing that a number of governors have said, Republicans, of course, um, have, have left it to parents to make up decisions about whether or not uh, their kids wear masks in the classroom, in particular because I delineate, thanks to the science, between the cloth masks and the N95s. It appears that the cloth masks are nothing more than, um, uh, you know, just another piece of apparel. They, they are not that effective at actually stopping the flow of the virus uh, from and to people. The N95s do make a difference to some extent. Um, and but the reality here is that it, it, sh it should be up to the parents. And I'm troubled by seeing, for instance, like the um, the ACLU is out now um, suing the state of South Carolina because the ACLU doesn't want to leave it to parents. They they want to uh, they want broad mandates for masks and which drives me it it. it suggest okay. to me that's like the opposite of the american civil liberties unions like mission like you're supposed to protect people's civil liberties and instead they're they're taking up on behalf of uh government dictates uh which is disheartening to me and i and i think it's just a it's a rough sign of the direction our country is headed in we should be erring on the side of liberty and letting parents make decisions for their children okay so uh you mentioned republican governors so yeah. Uh, as of Tuesday, August 24th, six states, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and Texas had less than 10% of ICU beds available, 
according mm -hmm. to data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Um, so the states that are doing the worst, that are over, you know, uh, working a lot of our frontline medical staff, mm -hmm. the states that literally are failing and putting people in danger are all led by Republicans. <laughs> They're all Republican governors, and, unless I'm missing something. I don't think that there's, no, I know all these governors, as a matter of fact, and they are all Republicans. So I wouldn't make this, you know, uh, you know, I don't think there's a strong, you know, Republican partisan argument in terms of public health here. Uh, because the, no, the point I was making, failing the worst, the, the, the point I was making, I was citing the fact that it's just Republican governors who are leaving mass compliance in school in the hands of the parents that they're right. not. I don't know. I don't know of any Democrat governors who've um, left it to the liberty of the parents making those decisions. Right. Um, yeah, no. And, and it also is true that uh, the cloth masks. Um, are not very effective. I think that, um, or they're not as effective. Um, and you know, mm -hmm. there are different tests that people have, have had where they like, uh, you know, if you can blow out a candle from your mask, like you're not blocking anything. Like it's pretty much like if you have your mask on and and you have like a, a lighter and you can blow through it. Yeah. Yeah. The the virus is getting right through that. <laughs> it's a good sign. Um, Generally, I mean, it's blocking some of it, like, you know, you may get, you know, 20% protection, but yeah, you know, it's not as effective. And you could, you could certainly make the argument that with that kind of a mask, mm -hmm. you know, your kid's Spider-Man mask that his grandmother knitted, uh, he's not getting the same level of protection that it's worth for all the discomfort that he may feel. Yeah. Um, well, but what should happen is that schools that require masks should provide them and should provide the the uh the masks every day and you know uh be able to work that out for the students um that's the way in my opinion that's the way it works just like we provide lunch or just like we provide uh breakfast for some students schools that uh require or need masks or school systems that require and need masks mm -hmm. um, should provide them to students. So to me, that that answers uh, the whole the whole question. It should not but, be up to the parents to have to go and provide the masks every day. It should be uh, something that's provided. If you want masks in a school, the school has to put masks in the school. Okay, um, but here's the question. Here's there's a fundamental question here. What is the evidence that the masks? are making a difference in the schools, right? So that would be the, that'd be a baseline question for whether or not we should have masks in schools at all. And I ask it because recently New York Magazine covered the fact that the CDC does have some science on this. Mm -hmm. um, in, in May, the CDC published a, a large scale study of COVID transmission in our schools. And the study looked at 90,000 elementary school students in 169 different Georgia schools last year. So it was from November 16th to December 11th, all right? So this is not Delta variant time. This was last year, November to December, uh, about a month. And they found that there was no statistically significant difference in schools that required students to wear masks compared to schools where masks were optional. Now that seems like a big deal. If, if there was optional mask wearing in some schools in Georgia and there was mandatory mask wearing in other schools in Georgia, and they found no statistical difference in spread at all, between those schools, 
that that's highly suggestive of the idea that like kind of maybe going back to the cloth mask point we were that you and I were both agreeing on that this this may be theater without any actual meaningful reduction in spread. Um, so why subject the kids to it at all? And I what I'm disappointed in is that the CDC and the public health authorities have yet to make any meaningful argument to you and I, American taxpayers, American voters, that the masks are reducing spread in schools at um, at a level that makes it worth, you know, sort of robbing the kids of the things that they lose by wearing masks, like everything from the the facial interactions that they have with teachers and other students, you know, that just keeping a piece of fabric strapped to your face as a fidgety little kid, you know, for, for hours on end all day, basically convinced me as a parent and you as a parent that that trade-off is worth it. So um, the, the way that I would convince you is you can look at certain parts of the country uh, that have not um, done well with, with masks or with vaccination. And of course, children under 12 can't be vaccinated, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why people want masks. Um, the, the thing that I, that I would argue is that, for example, you look at the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the PICUs are being filled up in hospitals over there, mm -hmm. you know? So you got, you know, a PICU, you know, PICUs and I, I believe it's at uh, Dallas Medical Center. Like they're literally filled to the brim with kids with COVID. And of course, like I look at my own family where I have kids that are under the age where they, you know, of course they cannot get vaccinated. And then I have a vulnerable elder person, though vaccinated, who still lives with me. It makes it a very dangerous mm -hmm. situation if kids aren't, you know, are spreading it around and are not wearing masks. Now, yes, you, I understand you're saying voluntary will put your, you know, have your kid wear a mask. I think mm -hmm. the thing is that, of course, you're right, that kids are going to fidget with the mask. They're going to pull them down. They're going to put them up. But if you know, it certainly lessens the uh, the the opportunity for the spread if you have them wearing masks and everybody's wearing a mask and it's not just one kid sitting there running around and then the kid pulls the mask down and and they're doing all of that. It's there's a whole difference to that than if everybody uh, if if everybody is masked there's less opportunity for spread, you know, because kids are going to pull it down. So some, there's going to be some spread in schools. Like there's some of this that is unavoidable, even if you mandate masks. But what you're going to do is limit the ability for spread. And if you have some kids with some weirdo parents who are anti-vax and anti-mask and anti-everything, and then they, their kids come in and they're sick with, or not even sick, they may just have asymptomatic COVID, then they're going to, you know, get other kids sick and that other kid may end up in the ICU. When you come to school, just like I think that, you know, gentleman with no clothes was trying to, to demonstrate, uh -huh. schools will send you home, you know, uh, they, you know, schools around the country, they'll send your daughter home if she has a crop top on, or, you know, or if they think her skirt is too short but they can't tell you to wear a mask. You know, they tell you to wear, you know, certain clothes, but they can't tell you to wear a mask. 
There are certain schools that mandate that your kid wears a uniform, but why can't they tell your kid, look, for public health sake, wear a mask for a few hours? I guess it just goes back to the point I was making before. It's like, I, we just haven't been shown evidence that the masks do anything. That's all. The, the, ma- the cloth mask yeah, in no, particular. I, and so- Cloth and so, masks, I agree. But this is why I say the school should provide the masks. What, N95? You know, you should, I should be able to send my kid to, you know, to school and as, you know, as they walk in, you know, um, and of course, adhere to social distancing. But as they walk in, they should get an N95 or, or what is it, a KN95. They should get the school systems. If you want to mandate masks, you have to provide the masks, you know, so find that in your budget and you have to provide that. So I think that, you know, expecting uh, uh, parents to take that on as a cost, even though it's, you know, relatively cheap to buy a bunch of masks, to expecting parents to take that on um, is, is not fair. That's what the school system should do. The school system mm-hmm. should provide that. Um, I think there's a lot of things schools should provide, you know, for, for students. But certainly, if you want them to wear a mask, um, I think the school should provide that. So that should take out the whole cloth mask uh, discussion, because they should provide the most effective masks for young people. Okay, now, I want to move on to another clip, but it's, it's, it's COVID related yet again. Uh, but this time, I want to see if, if whether or not it's possible in your mind for the government to go too far with COVID lockdown requirements. Here is the government of Australia in a viral video clip this week. Take a look. As of midnight, there will be tougher restrictions for those 12 LGAs. There will be a curfew coming into place from 9pm until 5am. People will only be allowed to exercise for an hour a day. At the CBD to express their frustration uh, at this current lockdown. And there you go. We have some protesters there trying to break through the police line. We've got mounted police also trying to stop the demonstration from going ahead. Uh, As for the rest of the state, well, from midnight, you will have to wear a mask when outdoors, unless you are exercising. Cross over! Everyone, go across the border! Cross over! They cannot arrest all of us! So Australia, which has outlawed protests of this uh, nature already, uh, has, uh, has started arresting people for protesting the lockdowns there. Um, that's not the first video like this we've seen in the past week or so. There was a video of a guy uh, who was COVID positive. He got into an elevator and the security camera shows him sneezing. He didn't cover his mouth, but he was by himself. And uh, then he left the building and the uh, government officials have now uh, uh, launched a manhunt for him. They're trying to hunt him down 
in order to, to find him, there was a famous rugby player in Australia too, who uh, got stopped by authorities multiple times traveling around the country, just basically doing whatever he wanted. And he kept making excuses for why he was on the road. And uh, they're, you know, they're now trying to hold him accountable as well. I mean, Australia has gotten very intense, Jason, very quickly in its COVID lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just waiting for somebody to say, a knife. That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know what was funny about that? That whole thing was a lot of the, the rioters that I saw running through the streets had on masks. They didn't want mm -hmm. their faces to be seen. So they actually had on masks. I'm like, bro, like you're, you're like defeating the purpose you know, by actually wearing a mask or wearing, you know, a bandana or, something or maybe they think face. maybe they think the mask works, but they're protesting the curfews. And they, they said, you know, the idea that they need to be locked down in their homes and aren't allowed to leave. Um, you know, it might be that there's some mixed opinions in that crap. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, in terms of. Uh, uh, protest uh, for, of course, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who believes in nonviolent resistance. I think there's a way to resist without, you know, attacking people, attacking the police and, and doing some of the things that they were doing there. I think it undermined their cause. I think it's going to cause even further lockdowns because now the curfew is about violence in the streets. So it sounds like it's, they're, they're not exactly uh, doing things that would make sense if they're trying to end the curfew. Um, but, you know, I don't know how they do things down under, um, but this doesn't sound, this doesn't look like it's like, it's going to be very effective for them. It's awful. It's just, it's just every headline I'm hearing out of Australia is like completely authoritarian and tyrannical the way that they're handling these lockdowns. First of all, why are you making people wear masks outside? Like in Oregon, they just, uh, Kate Brown, the governor there, just reimposed an outdoor mask mandate. For, for what reason? There's no, there's no justification for that. Um, yet they're doing it anyway. It's arbitrary and, and again, theatrical. Um, like, why can't you just so, you know, level, level with people and be like, oh, here's, what, here's what works, here's what doesn't, please be safe. So I, I would say, you know, it, the, the difficulty... Uh, of that, I agree that for the most part, outdoors, you don't need a mask. Um, but it also depends on people's proximity to one another. You know, so if you are in a COVID hotspot, like I think I was reading University of Georgia, you know, for their football games, they're allowing, you know, uh, the building to be at capacity, no one has to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think you're going to see some COVID cases come out of that, even though it's outdoors. Why? Because people are really close to one another. I'm sure at, uh, you know, that stadium in Athens, you're probably going to get 100,000 people shoulder to shoulder, foot to foot, you know, high five in each other, all up in each other's face, sneezing, coughing and doing what people do during a football game. Um, so you know, I, I think there is some danger to being outside. Now, would I mandate masks? Probably not, you know. Um, Do you think to say that there's no spread to make it seem like there's no spread in an outdoor setting, I think that also depends on the proximity and, and the size of the crowd. Yes. I mean, it's virtually non-existent. I mean, especially because open air is is the best uh, circumstance. Sure. And even, even Dr. Fauci has said this a lot. Sure, sure. Now, 
here's, here's, I guess, the fundamental, the core question that I want to ask you, which is like, are you concerned at all about surrendering liberties? Are there, is there anywhere where you're like, that's too far and we shouldn't let the government think that it has the right to impose these kinds of restrictions because if they do think that in the future, they'll abuse that, they'll exploit that because you know, give the government an inch when it comes to your liberties, they'll take a mile. I haven't seen anything like that in the United States. Um, now, New Zealand, I think they had one COVID death or something, and they locked their whole country down. That seems like uh, an extreme response mm-hmm. to it. It was either one death or one hospitalization. Right. So, yes, you're right, though. The data was very small to justify the extreme reaction. Yeah. So I, I think that there, you know, there needs to be some voices in power in those situations and in those countries where you say, wait a minute. You know, I don't think that this is necessary yet. Now, when we start getting to, you know, uh, 500 deaths, yeah, or 500 hospitalizations or something like that in, in you know, one area or something like that, I, I, I get it. Um, but to lock it down for one, um, and, and even, you know, there, there are so many responses before lockdowns, you know what I mean? There's so many, of course, we've talked about mask mandates. That's way before you have to lock things down, you know? Um, and we know what locking things down does to an economy, what it does to small businesses. And I don't think you do that over um, just a few cases or a few hospitalizations or mm-hmm. even a few deaths. Um, I think you do that as an extreme response to major rapid spread and people, uh, you know, literally filling up ICUs to where, you know, you're having to deny, you know, cancer patients treatment. Um, That's where you, you have to say, look, this has to stop. We need to take other public health measures. But where uh, New Zealand was, I, I think that that was probably, you know, I, I understand that they did the right thing early on. They saw it spreading around the world and they locked things down early and that kept it from taking off in New Zealand. But I think at this point, with some of the, the treatments that we have now, we're getting better at treating it. We have vaccination um, that's pretty widespread around the world and I would assume so in New Zealand. You don't necessarily need to to go to those measures just yet. Um, so I, I do think that there are overreaches. I haven't seen any overreaches like that uh, recent, you know, in the United States. I think that a lot of our responses have been very measured and and made sense um, for the areas uh, that we've seen some of these, you know, responses. So. You know, I haven't I haven't really had any issues of of like, oh my God, this is tyranny. Yeah, there've been a there've been a lot of governors who have uh, made me feel that way uh, during the pandemic. Um, you know, including like locking down gyms, sort of the arbitrary nature of the places that were locked down, keeping liquor stores open while closing churches, continuing to sell lottery tickets. You know, while while shutting down the schools and shutting down the churches, it's just, you know, remember at one point Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan had had roped off uh, like, like the seeds. You weren't allowed to buy, buy gardening equipment in hardware stores. I mean, there was just like, there, there were some preposterous levels to which uh, government officials have gone uh, in their lockdowns in the United States, in my view. 
Maybe. Well, lock, locking down churches. Um, I know here in in my state, um, which obviously wasn't one of the hardest hit, right? Maryland um, by COVID, mm-hmm. but you know what they did was lower capacity. You know what I mean? To like twenty five percent capacity, you needed to get a ticket a lot of times for churches, and some churches chose to go vi- uh, to go um, virtual. Yep. Um, and I honestly think that that drove technology forward for a lot of churches. A lot of churches actually figured things out. They figured out how to get their, their offerings. Of course, they're going to figure that out. Um, they figured out a lot of different things and how to use technology. And I think that that was actually a good thing for the churches. But, you know, having a church at full capacity with people sitting down, and if you went to the churches that I went to as a kid, not the church I go to now, if you went to the churches I, I went to as a kid, you know, where you're sitting in one place for three hours and you got old people in there, mm-hmm. I think locking that down made sense. That's not a reach. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah, want to just think leave it. Deacon I just Jones. think leave it, leave it to the churches. That's all. I mean, just give them this is this is my point. I guess this is sort of the 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 thread of my assessment that's run through all of our conversations around COVID. You've just got to tell people the truth, give them good information and let them lead in, in their environments. So whether it's in those schools or in your own family or in the churches, let people make good decisions on the basis of good information. When have people ever made good decisions? <laughs> you know, like honestly, you know, but uh, but you know, I'm of course making a little bit of a joke there, but um, I think there are times, this is why we elect government. And this is why, you know, I could sit here and say, you know, we don't need police uh, or we don't need traffic cops, like kind of like using what the the guy was saying. We don't need traffic cops. We don't need Mm -hmm. any of that. Just let people make smart decisions on the road, you know? Um, And I think that that obviously is not the approach. I know there are some people who are like, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, (laughs) but that that's not the way things go. You have to have guardrails for for a working society um, because people will not behave smartly. Um, so I think that uh, some measures need to be taken. That's why we have government. Let me jump into um, uh, one last one for you, and it's uh, it's kind of a remarkable thing. They uh, a golf course. Uh, had asked for, uh, they needed to clear some birds. There were just too many birds on the property. So they hired some hunters um, to go out there with, uh, with looks like some shotguns, almost like, almost looks like uh, they're shooting skeet, trying to take out some of these birds that are on the course. In the process, there's a woman there who is furious that these guys are shooting the birds down. Listen, as uh, a frantic woman tries to stop these hunters from shooting birds. We'll get into it in just a moment. Listen. This is an appalling situation. This is at the S. Kill the bird. Just kill the bird. Kill the bird. This man is killing birds. This guy over here is killing birds. They're shooting them. They're falling from the sky. Yeah. Go ahead. Hit her. Hit her. Hit her. Go ahead and hit her. real sick situation see exactly these are the kind of people we're dealing with 
murders. You want to touch to me? You want to come near me? See this guy? This guy, he's threatening me. Threatening me. He was very obnoxious, very threatening. All right, so California golf course. Of course, it's California. They ask these guys to go out there to clear the bird population. He's out there shooting. And he's got these women screaming in his face, calm under pressure. He's still, he's a dead eye, this guy. He's like shooting these birds. He takes a shot. The camera pans over. The bird plunk right in the water. Uh, and this is with these women screaming at him. Um, impressive, I got to say. Impressive. Cool under an immense amount of pressure there, Jason. Yeah, uh, that was, you know, kind of a funny video. Um, <laughs> I got to admit, like, if I saw a dude just randomly shooting birds, I'd be like, bro, what? Like, why? What's the bird on a golf course? I'd be like, you know, it's not like he's out in the woods. Like, he's on a golf course just shooting uh -huh. birds. Yeah. I'd be like, bro, maybe you should just play golf. But, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, people, the, the women didn't understand the circumstances. Um, they might have. I, it seemed like they kind of came prepared. They had a bullhorn and like a siren. It, this, these seem like, if I had to just guess based only on the video, these yeah. seemed like like people animal who were rights. Yeah, animal rights activists who, who knew that this was going down and were furious about it. Uh, they were giving him the business for, for shooting these birds. Yeah, I wonder like, was there a need to shoot the birds? <laughs> like, I don't, like, I'm just, you know, I don't, trust me, I'm the last person who is an animal rights person. As the word, in the words of my doppelganger, tell Peter my mink is dragging on the floor. But <laughs> my doppelganger, uh, so, you mean, so you mean I, yay? I, Did he change his name to yay yet? I saw that. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's officially. like his name is officially yay now. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I really don't, you know, I'm I'm not, I like animals, don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, if I can not kill an animal, I will not kill an animal, of course. But if I'm hungry, I'll eat an animal. You know what well, I mean? You know who likes animals? You know who likes animals mo almost more than anybody? It's hunters. You know, hunters, the guys who actually are, are true conservationists who are out there. You know, there are some people who are abusive, but they want full, thriving uh, herds and, yeah. and, and flocks. So, you know, there is, a, there is a balance to nature. There's definitely, you know, hunters who will, will call the herd. You know, I'm thinking about in our area, this isn't hunters, but in, in like my area, I live in a, a suburban area of Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C. And like a lot of suburban areas, um, we get tons of deer just like all over the place yeah. in, in densely packed areas. And you just can't have that many deer in these areas. They're a threat to safety. And so, for instance, in Arlington, every so often they'll send the cops out and put them in tree stands in the parks in Arlington. They'll have AR-15s for real, AR-15s, and they'll call the deer that are that are in these parks and i had i interviewed one of them once and i was like it didn't make sense to me i'm like because an ar-15 round normally is like a two two three you're like shooting like it seems like a small round to shoot deer with like that you wouldn't hunt with that with an ar-15 yeah. like guys who hunt with ar-15s are hunting like like coyotes and like varmint you know it's like yeah not not typically deer so i asked the cop about it I'm like how do you sh hunt deer with an ar-15 He's like, well, they don't hunt them the way you normally hunt a deer, I guess. I'm not a, a deer hunter, but I, you know, normally when you see like the targeting, that you shoot them like in the heart on the side of the uh, side of the uh, chest. 
instead what they're doing, these cops is they've got scopes and they're taking headshots. And so it's a, a small round, you know, and they're, apparently they're pretty efficient at it. And I was like, Oh, okay. I was just curious. I didn't know how that, how that went down, but yeah, I mean, you know, every so often, you know, you've got to clear animals out of areas that they're in. In this case, you've got apparently birds at this golf course in California that the, the owner of the golf course wanted to clear out and these women going haywire watching this guy do it. I was just impressed. Like I miss, if you ever go skeet shooting, I miss clay targets occasionally. I like, you know, less and less as I get more practice. I don't know how I'd be able to, to hit the target with these women, like screaming with bullhorns in my face. Now, I, I wonder, like, what was the reason to shoot the birds? Like, I, I still don't really get it. But um, deer, I think, is a little different. Um, but I, I will say this. Like, I have a neighbor who's, a, who's an avid hunter. And yeah. he doesn't hunt with guns. Like, he uses a bow. And I mm. think part of it is that kind of idea that, you know, it's not like you want to give the the animal a chance. Like it's, I, I don't know. It's, it's the respect. So I'm getting at your, what you're saying I, about heard, respect for the animal. Um, I've, I've heard that these bow hunters, you know, you think about the bow, you, you have to be closer. That's one of the differences with a bow. Yeah. Well, you, and I mean, he, he literally goes up at like 4 a.m. And like yeah. you climb a tree, you have to have like this tree climbing stuff. And he sits there for hours you know in this designated area where you can hunt and you know it's there's a lot of patience and he said one of the reasons he doesn't do it quite as much anymore is when he would kill you know an animal and by the way you know bullets ruin a lot of the meat too you know whereas an arrow doesn't but at least according to him he's like bullets yeah. you know kind of ruin the meat but he was like you know, like we can't sit there and like storing all that meat. And it's like, all right, what are we going to have? Venison tacos, mm -hmm. venison mm -hmm. you know, burgers. Like, yeah, you're in, was, you're in. If you, if you shoot an animal, then and, and you're going to eat it. You're, there's a lot of animal to eat. Sometimes you got right. to get his it. wife was like, look, you can't go hunting and, and kill another animal. Cause we don't have space for all <laughs> this meat. Space. You know what I mean? And we're not yeah. going to eat it. Like we can't, yeah, by the way, in Arlington, the deer that I was talking about, they donate all of that to the food banks. They donate the venison. Yeah, see, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm with that. Um, I think that's cool. You know, just a sidebar. It's funny. Um, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine, and I had a discussion with my wife one time. You know, you know Jaden Smith, right? He yeah, opened, Will Smith, Jada Pickens Smith's kid. Right. So he opened a restaurant for the homeless, um, I believe, in L.A., he opened this restaurant for the homeless, but he's vegan. So the, the menu is all vegan. And do you know, people got upset with him? Like they were- For, they were, for having a vegan restaurant? Yeah, criticizing him for forcing his dietary uh, desires on the homeless people that he was feeding that they weren't. Isn't the phrase beggars can't be choosers? Isn't it? Isn't that literally the phrase we use? Like, I mean, it's pretty, for, it seems kind of generous. He, he created a place that gives food to the homeless and there he's being criticized for it being <laughs> vegan. Like, it's like, yo, you, you want to criticize while you sit on Twitter or on 
Instagram, you're yeah. like, mm, I don't like how he served the homeless that I'm not serving. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it was like the most ridiculous. Like, I remember being like, literally, physically, like, angry. Like, you uh -huh. know what I mean? You know me. I, I, well, I mean, I do get angry sometimes, but you, you know, generally I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. It takes a lot to get me off my square, but I remember reading that <laughs> and reading all of the criticisms coming. And, and by the way, there are meals that we all eat that are vegan. Like, like Vince, you eat rice and beans. Yeah. That's a vegan meal. <laughs> Quite obviously, <laughs> you know? unless, unless it came from an animal I'm not aware of. Right. You know what I mean? Like if it looks like a bean and it came from an animal, I, I'd suggest that you don't eat it. Yeah, don't uh, eat that. <laughs> you know, that if it looks like a black bean, especially don't eat it. But but at any rate, you know, he's sitting there providing this. It's a free restaurant for the homeless in L.A. And we know uh, that California has a problem with homelessness, particularly in Southern California. People are, you know, dumpster diving, begging for food, all of that. And he gives them the dignity of being able mm -hmm. to walk into a restaurant, look at a menu, order a meal, eat it, get service. You know, there's dignity in that. Even for us, like people who are middle class, like for us to sit down and get service, you know what I mean? That's like a celebration. That's, you know, for me and my wife, that's date night, you yeah, know, yeah. like, that's that's something that gives us dignity as people when we don't, you know, we're not uh, subjected to having to get our own food and cook our own mm -hmm. food and buy our own food and think about it times a thousand for somebody that's homeless. And yet he got criticized. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe these homeless people and people were like, well, they need calcium or uh, not calcium. Um, they need protein and all. And like you can't give vegan protein. You uh -huh. know, like there's no protein in a bean or whatever but anyway like it's literally insane you are know these I mean? impossible the guys who make the impossible meat you know is that does that count as vegan given that it doesn't have any, it's not actually created from any animal product yeah i, I think so that would yeah that would count as vegan um, yeah i you know i'm kind not of, really a fan of that i had some so i had a barbecue uh you know for the fourth of july and I bought some of those impossible burgers and I had regular burgers and I had turkey burgers and the regular burgers and turkey burgers was so much better than the impossible burger. Vegan really? people stop lying. You know what I mean? That's straight cap when you're sitting there like, oh, it's just like a burger. No, it's not. <laughs> How would you know? How would you yeah. know? <laughs> How would you know? Right? <laughs> you know? That's funny. I didn't know. I've never tried them. So I'm going to take your word for it. I was curious, I, you know, if they've perfected the technology bad. yet. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you, you could try it. You won't like be disgusted. Like it's act, it does taste good, but it doesn't taste like a burger is what I'm okay. saying. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, I think that's a good jumping off point. Uh, the impossible burger. Jason has done the test and he's concluded it's not the best, but it's not bad. Uh, right. Jason Nichols. Great to talk to you as always. It's been a, a fun week. Uh, an important week, actually, in the news. Tough, some tough news, too, that we've had to uh, sort through. But I'm glad to do it alongside you. I'm Vince Collins. He's Jason Nichols. This is Vince and Jason Save the Nation. You can find it anywhere you can find a podcast. And especially, please go to our YouTube page, like, subscribe, share, and comment on the Daily Callers channel to make sure a lot more people can see this as well. Thanks a lot, Jason Nichols. All right. Thank you, Vince.